Um, so we'll proceed in any case. Um, declarations of interest. Councillor Howell. Uh, Leader, I may have a disclosable pecuniary interest in item 11 on the agenda, as my employer was awarded a contract in the last year. However, I have been granted a dispensation by the monitoring officer to enable me to speak and vote on this item. Thank you. Noted. Any other declarations of interest? No. Okay, thank you. Minutes of the previous meeting. Are they a true record for those that were present? Yep. Okay, we'll go through uh, item three, matters arising, uh, taking CA 106, 7, 8 and 9. Mr Chairman, I wasn't at the meeting and I know this matter is going to come up, CA 109, um, but reading the minutes, uh, it did occur to me that, um, and maybe this will be answered later, that has anybody actually come up with any hard evidence regarding the uh, two, three, four hour waiting at, at, um, at, at, um, the, at the common. I mean, you know, the, the question really is, um, is this, this concern based on anecdotal information or, or is there any evidence about change in public behaviour and so on? I'm sure we'll come back to it, but I thought I'd just raise it at this point as a question. Okay, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm sure that will come out in uh, item 8 in the presentation of the petition. Councillor Redfern. Thank you, Chairman. Um, under item CA109, um, I just want to say that at the last meeting of the Cabinet, I declared a non-pecuniary interest relating to the common car park as being the proprietor of a business in Saffron Walden. I have since taken advice from the monitoring officer um, the maximum say um, on the common car park will have no impact on my business and the advice I've been given is that I do not need to declare an interest in this matter so I'd like to change that please Thank you duly noted uh, CA 110 11 there's another item on the agenda tonight 12 13 14 Okay, the minutes will be duly signed. Thank you very much indeed. Moving on to item four, questions or statements from non-executive members of the council. I don't think we have any, do we? Item five, matters referred to the executive. Nope. Item six, reports from performance and audit and scrutiny committees. Performance and audit first, if we may, Councillor Oliver. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. <coughs> We met last, the performance audit met last week. Certain things did arise. One in respect of the audit. This will be earlier this year, and the figures will be, should be available by the end of July. There was a degree of concern on the committee in the fact that the, the UDC now really only has one qualified accountant on its strength, Mr. Webb, and two have left recently and one is on maternity leave. I think Mr. Webb has been looking for to replacements, but he's unfortunately not been able to get <coughs> any responses, outside responses to the advertisements, so we're relying on agency staff. So it's obviously going to be pressure on the audit and especially on Mr. Webb, and I think that is a, should be of concern to us that we just have only got the one 
qualified accountant on strength. Obviously, the one on maternity leave will come back in October. Also, just to mention that the internal audit team are working with 2.7 staff. They lost 0.3 some time ago when we thought we had a deal with Rebs and Bevs with Harlow. That deal disappeared, but the 0.3 didn't come back. So <clears throat> it would be helpful if, in due course, that uh, I think it would help the internal audit team if we could recover that 0.3, full three full times. The performance and audit team uh, committee approved the annual draft annual governance statement 1516. This will come back at the time of the audit when you and the chief executive will be asked to sign it, so I'm sure you'll have a look at it in the meantime. The internal audit team have, had <coughs> have reported on their work, which is now on a rolling basis, and we did note that there were two level four items, uh, which is a fundamental problem, and a one level three item significant problem relating to cash and bank in 1516, but it, is, it looks as though those problems are now being resolved. The the committee did carry out a self-assessment, and one of the things that, that did arise from that was a requested site of the procurement arrangements. And finally, looking at health and safety, this is agreed that there will now be a, a regular report from the health and safety officer in respect of accidents, etc. At the moment, all we have is a report when the, shutting the stable or after the horse has bolted, the report on when the accidents happen and what, why they were there. It's, I think the, the performance and audit will be looking to see what, what steps are being taken to assure the accidents don't happen rather than seeing what happens at the, afterwards. And again, the usual favourite, there is concern about the amount of missed bins, but there we are. Those are the quick report of the meeting we had the other day, Chairman. And any questions, I should be pleased to answer. Thank you very much. Are there any questions of Councillor Oliver? I will ask, um, in reference to your first point, which is in a broader context in terms of um, staff recruitment and retention, I will ask the Chief Executive just to say a few words to that. Uh, your final point about uh, bins, um, as was discussed at the meeting, and is being picked up by the refuge team. But, uh, Chief Executive. Uh, thank you, Chairman. Um, I've been made aware since obviously I arrived uh, just under three months ago uh, about the situation with the finance staff and obviously been talking closely with Mr Webb, who is indeed the 151 officer. Um, the, there are plans in place uh, in terms of addressing those shortages, uh, but which requires a more fundamental review of the Council's pay policy statement that was adopted in February. So uh, I'm working with Mr Webb about what is required in the finance department, and I'll be bringing uh, a more general paperback to Council to uh, seek approval to some changes to the pay policy statement which will facilitate the changes that are required. Thank you. Good. If there are no other points, I shall ask uh, Councillor Dean to give a report on the scrutiny committee. Yes, thank you, Chairman. The um, committee met at the um, 
earlier in the month. And the um, two, two points I'd like to make reference to, one was the uh, first consideration of the local council tax support scheme, which we're looking at this year. And um, members of the cabinet and the public will be aware that um, over recent years the um, contribution which all uh, there's a minimum contribution by all council tax pay payers, including those on benefits. That used to, they used to get a hundred, or some used to qualify for 100%. Now there's a minimum payment of 12.5%. Um, and one of the things that we we did consider was whether in future that should change. Uh, we haven't got, gone, got down to it and had time to get down to that in detail. Um, and, and in some ways there are, there are some fundamental questions that were raised um, during the meeting by myself in particular, although not actually minuted, that, that we ought in my belief, the Council ought to consider the, the, the basic fundamentals of this, the, the original calculations as to what um, contribution should be made by benefit claimants was based on the shortfall or the gap between uh, funding from central government to this authority when we took responsibility and prior to that it had been 100% funded and, and, and once LCTS came in it was less, I think 90%. I think, I think the thing that, uh, we, you know, we didn't come, reach any conclusions to this, but I think, I think there is, it's time that we went back to basics particularly on the basis that central government funding has radically changed. You can't say that it's based on a particular shortfall in funding and therefore who should make up the difference because the whole thing has gone, uh, central government funding is disappearing and so those, those basic, the basis of those calculations are gone. So I think that that's for future discussion, but I'm, I'm just suggesting that uh, that, that, that ought to, one ought to go back to basics in terms of what is right and what is affordable in terms of the contribution that uh, the, the least well-off members of the community should make to council tax. The other thing that was, was discussed was the fact that when local council tax support system came in three or four years ago, um, this council um, made up the difference between the, effectively the, the loss of council tax, effective council tax base to a parish council, parish council or town councils. We actually made up the difference so that they didn't lose, if I can put that word in inverted commas. We, we, most discussion at the, uh, at the meeting took place around that as to whether it, it ought to change and that just as this authority funds its total requirement and has to take into account that some people don't pay their full um, the, the full amount of council tax. Why shouldn't town and parish councils do the same? Um, in other words, they, they're just their precept to to uh, to achieve whatever that tax rate should I say to achieve whatever precept they need and not be dependent on a, a handout through the Uttlesford precept. So I think that's, that's something that we uh, thought ought to be considered and that there needs to be um, consultation between this council and the town and parish councils to find a way forward on that. 
So those were the two main points that came out of that, um, uh, uh, essentially to uh, review the Parish Council discretionary grant and to consider what adjustments, if any, should be made to the 12.5% uh, contribution to take into account all you know, <laughs> the underlying and future financial situation. Um, the other, we, we also started uh, to consider, um, uh, or we considered a scoping report for a piece of work to look at the relationship between Uttlesford District Council and Essex County Council and not to look at every relationship that we have on a, a, a large multiplicity of services, but the main, the main focus was on, on highways um, and the in, essential, in, in essence the communication between not just the authority but individual members and, and that probably includes district as well as town and parish council members because there is a, a widespread view that one, can, one is often speaking into a black hole and what, what can be done to make that better. So in a way that, that's also a message out to any uh, authority, town or parish, if, if they have an opinion on that, then the scrutiny committee would be pleased to hear from them because the work has not yet really got underway. We're just scoping it and working out how to go about it. That's my report, Chairman. Thank you. Th those are future pieces of work. Is there any work completed? No, not, not as of the last meeting. Okay. Uh, nothing of substance. Right. Any questions for Councillor Dean? Councillor Howell? Uh, not so much a question, more of a comment. Um, I'm always very grateful for the opportunity to attend the scrutiny committee, and I enjoyed the last meeting. We had a very good debate and discussion around local council tax support. I confess that I feel the minutes of that meeting prob properly reflected the conversation. Um, I don't believe the points that Councillor Dean were minuted because I don't recall them being mentioned. They may well be his... Please don't they question may, please the Chairman's memory. Well, I, I think uh, what Councillor Howard is referring to are the minutes, so presumably the, these are facts. So I, I believe that it is the responsibility of the chairs of both scrutiny and performance and audit to reflect the views debated at their committee rather than their personal views. The minutes set out a range of comments which were of interest and as the cabinet member responsible for this particular item, I listened carefully to all the points that were made. I'm very happy to take on board all of the comments that are made, but I feel that the minutes properly reflect the general debate that there was and I, and I do feel that uh, if we are to have a debate on this subject, we need to reflect the views of all councillors who attended that meeting, not just the chairman's personal views. Uh, we can have a debate about whether we agree on those personal views, but as chairman of that committee, I think you do have a responsibility to reflect the debate rather than your personal opinion. Mr Chairman, I, I will come back on that. The, 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 many of the other views are on there, but... At the end of the meeting, I, spelled, I, I said to our finance officers, and they agreed with me, that the basis on which the original scheme was calculated is now totally out of the 
you know, gone. You know, and, and, and that was the basis for saying that uh, I, I felt that we needed to look at the fundamental underlying uh, issues here. And, 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 and presumably other your committee will be saying. making a report in due course. So I think we'll probably look at that report yeah, we a long as, way to go. as and when it comes. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, if there are no other points, we'll move on to item seven. I don't know whether there is anything to add today to the refugee um, working group. Well, um, just a small amount really, um, Chairman. Um, I think I've reported before that we were hoping, um, well, we've been quite forceful with our offers to Essex for, um, to um, accommodate um, refugees. And as you know, we haven't had any here yet and I believe there's been very few into Essex. We thought we may get um, some in June. It now looks like um, as we're doing a sort of um, cluster thing with Epping, Harlow and ourselves and it, we may well have um, some, I may well have something firmer to report in September but that is what we're being led to believe at the moment. Um, I don't want anybody to think that we aren't um, doing our bit, we are constantly making it clear to Essex that we are very willing to take refugees, it's just that it's not quite, well, it's, we're not being offered. We're, well, we're offering, but there's nothing coming Yeah, I think way. what would really be helpful is if we could have a report from Essex County Council, um, either through yourself or we'll take it up through the Chief Executives, uh, in terms of understanding exactly what is happening. Uh, because um, we need to know the numbers and we need to know the timetable. I know you're your group is doing everything it possibly can. So um, that's not about your group. It's, it's about the overall planning at Essex, which um, uh, we can perhaps uh, take after the meeting. But it, well, I, well I, I, can, I can say that um, the conference that Ros and I went to, I, believe me, I could not have made it clearer no, I'm sure. no, I, um, how we felt. And, um, and yeah, here we go. We've months yeah. have gone by again. So we're, I'd we're, be happy if there's any... any, any Thing the chief executive can do that would be great yeah, but, we'll uh, take that up Ros and I are both pushing we'll take that up with the chief executive of Essex County Council Trevor, can, I, can I ask you know in view of the fact that the, there has been a, I don't know a, a change of approach by the central government not quite sure what it is in quantified terms but there's certainly been a couple of uh, debates in Parliament in the last month one of which the second of which seemed to uh, relax the um, or, or, or improve or increase the likelihood of more people coming. So I, I, I'd just like to know whether we, we are actually already, in other words, do we last time I asked the question I think we were told that there was one private property and one council property uh, put forward and that the, the council property that had been put forward has subsequently been uh, rented out to a normal tenant, I think. So are we, are, have we put forward larger numbers so that if, if what may happen that does happen, that, that we're ready? Uh, well, what I can say is cl clearly we don't leave houses empty. Uh, so, as you say, um, that, that, that house that was earmarked uh, is now filled. But as and when we hear, because we're not going to be told that somebody's going to arrive next Tuesday, so as and when we understand the timetable, we will be, we will be ready. The spirit is, 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 is here in, in Uttlesford to welcome our share of refugees. And as I say, we'll take that up with the Chief Executive, but uh, uh, <coughs> we will find accommodation. Okay. Sorry, um, Chairman, if I could just say, um, I think perhaps one of the changes you might be referring to is the... Um, children, the unaccompanied children, um, and that actually that's very much, um, that, that 
is more to do with the social services through Essex. There's not really very much we can do. Um, it, that is their responsibility, the children. That's not our It would be different if it was a complete family. Then obviously we're... We, uh, we don't like to keep any properties empty, as um, Chairman said. And... Um, but as and when we're asked, we will make sure we have something available. But, you know, having offered properties and then had them sitting empty, it's not something we would want, we would want to do. But, we, we, you know, our housing team are really good here and they can react quite swiftly. So don't think that we're not trying to do our bit. We, we genuinely are. So, and we'll keep you informed as we go. Good, thank you. Item 8, presentation of a petition. So, ask uh, Councillor Freeman to come to the mic. Thank you, Chairman, and thank you for allowing me to speak. Uh, I speak on behalf of Saffron Warden Town Council, of which I am a member, and I also chair its Planning and Road Traffic Committee. We all know that the market is a vital asset to Saffron Warden and a source of attraction to tourists from all over Europe and to local shoppers. Uttersford's own evidence gathered during the car parking review carried out by the consultants, people and places supports the importance of the town, the town centre and its market to the vitality of the town. According to their findings, more than half of those interviewed visited the town centre at least once a week and nearly half spent more than £20 when they did so. The positive aspects of visiting Saffron Warden included its physical appearance, everyone said this, 100% of all those interviewed, and very nearly everyone interviewed rated the ease of walking around Saffron Warden as a significant asset. Significantly also, around 7 out of every 10 regarded car parking as one of the key attributes of Saffron Warden. Now, Chairman, this is nearly twice the national average for similar small towns. That, that's important. Now, this survey was carried out before the new car parking schemes were introduced on the common car park. And the town traders, both market stallholders and shopkeepers, believe that the maximum length of stay in the common car park should remain at four hours. This seems an odd request to make for a tiny car park with a large churn of users, but everyone seems to believe its existence is vital to the commercial viability of the town. Now, I believe that very few people actually stayed for the full four hours under the previous provisions, but that is the view of 1,855 people who have signed the petition. It would seem that the fact that they could stay if they wished seems to have been of paramount importance. To this end, the traders of Saffron Warden have collected signatures from their customers asking you to restore the maximum stay of four hours to the common car park. There have been, as I said, 1,855 signatures, not bad for a small town, and hardly any of these required recourse to medieval methods of torture. We know that not many motorists purchase four hours stay under the previous regime, but the opportunity to do so does appear to be significant to the feel-good factor which people have about shopping in this town. May I therefore, Chairman, respectfully re request that Cabinet reconsiders its decision to impose conventional short-stay conditions on the common car park. 
This car park only represents 6% of the total parking available in Warden, but the informed opinion of those who work here and those whose living depends on Saffron Warden's continued commercial viability are convinced that a four-hour maximum stay on the common is vitally important. Uh, thank you for allowing me to speak, and now I may, may I present these signatures on behalf of Saffron Warden Town Council and on behalf also of the traders of Saffron Warden. Thank you, Chairman. Shall I give them to you? That would be good. There we go. Thank you. Well, thank you very much indeed, uh, Councillor Freeman, and thanks to all of those who have taken the time to sign the petition. Um, there was, um, before I re re respond to your petition, uh, there was a suggestion in the local media that this didn't receive uh, consultation, and, uh, but you haven't actually mentioned that in your, your words tonight. Um, uh, Mr. Jackson has got the detail of the consultation when the, the consultants that you mentioned presented to the various bodies, uh, whether it be Uttlesford, Saffron Warden Town Council, the Saffron Warden Town team, um, as well as obviously the statutory um, uh, consultation that we have to do to put it through the press. But as you haven't mentioned that as a point, I, I think, uh, Mr. Jackson, that we'll, we'll leave that. So. Um, I think we all understand the history, um, but a very quick recap. Uh, Saffron Warden Common used to be a two-hour um, car park, maximum stay car park. It was changed about four-ish years ago uh, to four hours. Um, and when uh, we undertook, uh, the, the council undertook the review that you've referred to across the whole of Uttlesford, which looked at uh, a number of factors around car parking. Do we have sufficient capacity? Were our prices uh, a... Um, uh, a, um, <clears throat> a preventative use of our car parks uh, and timings and so the whole um, arena of car parks now you, you, you've read the report I won't repeat everything but broadly we have sufficient capacity at the moment um, but they did suggest that um, retail and I, when I say retail I'm including uh, the service industries as well uh, is, is all about uh, churn it's all about getting more people to come to the um, respective outlets and therefore they suggested that you need as the airlines use a, a sort of short medium and longer term uh, scenario and we know the short term we've got a half hour uh, 20 uh, parking slot in the marketplace and I think we all agree that that works well on a churn basis in terms of people being able to come in use it briefly uh, and then move it on for somebody else uh, and we know what the long term uh, car park is in Swan Meadow uh, which has been um, enlarged um, and uh, the, there is new signage going up uh, next week, I believe, tomorrow, uh, to indicate that this is the town centre car park. So as you come in, if you don't understand or you're not knowledgeable of the town, it will direct you to Swan Meadow. So uh, the question then is, is so what about the, uh, the medium term? And uh, does it, so we put into practice the recommendation of our consultants having as I say, put that out to the relevant bodies uh, in the town. Um, and uh, at the time, there was no response or reaction to that. Um, and, uh, but since then, I fully understand uh, that there has been a strong reaction from the very people that we were trying to support. So they felt that two hours would inhibit their business. That is a perfectly legitimate 
position to take. We respect that position and as a consequence have increased the time from two hours to three hours. Three hours uh, is in line with Ferrycroft, as you know, so the more town-centric car parks uh, are now both on the same alignment of three hours, which deals with the vast majority of business, basically. Um, so we think that is the right balance, but more importantly, the experts in car parking recommend that that is the scenario. Well, they actually recommended two hours. But, so I think it's, it, it is important that we take account of that. There has been suggestion in terms of whether people can reach the town centre from Swan Meadow. There are plenty of car parking bays, um, and so any blue badge holder can stay beyond the three hours on the common. Uh, so I think that's an important factor. So we're not talking about people who can't uh, get up from Swan Meadow. So uh, the council believes that that is the... Uh, right balance in view of the views of the uh, of the um, re the commercial fraternity in Saffron Walden, uh, what is deemed to be the right practice for car parking, and I think you see that model in most market towns. And uh, we'll certainly review the position um, after uh, an appropriate length of time, let's say 12 months, to make sure that we've got that balance right. But uh, as I say, the, inter the interest is all about retaining the vi vitality of Saffron Walden. I think we all, that's what we all want. So uh, I, I thank you for the petition. The petition has already uh, moved um, the, the, the timing from two to three hours, which I hope is seen as a positive step as, as, as a council that listens to the people that it's trying to support. And, uh, uh, and we'll certainly review the position uh, in due course. So thank you. You may, but I'm not going to. It's, it's not an agenda. I, I'll let you comment. To very, very, briefly, very briefly, Chairman. Yeah. Um, an expert on car parks is not necessarily an expert on Saffron Warden, which is a very unusual town. Now, if you look through the long version of that consultant's report, uh, you will see that the metrics that they use show that Dunmo, Great Dunmo, for example, is very different to Saffron Warden mm. in almost any parameter that you choose to measure. It is an unusual town, and we've seen it suffer from when, for example, Waitrose was shut and uh, the car park for Waitrose vanished temporarily. That had a massive impact mm. on footfall in the mm. town. Mm. Uh, we've had similar examples when the Market Square was being done, mm. for example. Mm. Uh, so it's a very delicately balanced mm. business. The, the trade in Walden seems to be uh, a delicate creature uh, and something which we would tamper with with great caution. And I submit, Chairman, that um, although the consultants are doubtless very competent at the general thing, it is something of an exception. I would ask you to, to keep that in mind. No, we will bear that in mind. And um, we were particularly aware of what happened with the closure of Ferrycroft. And I think the resultant uh, lack of footfall was a, was, was, was a number of uh, compounded factors, actually. Um, and, and I think we both agree, because you indicated that we're talking on the margins here. But um, no, we, we understand the points that you're making. Thank you very much indeed, and thanks to members of the public. Councillor Lodge. Thank you, Chair. Um, somewhat tan no, it's not tangential. It's very, it's very relevant, but, but rather than looking at the parking in uh, at the common, I think we should look at, at the image of Fairycroft. And I was pleased to hear that you were talking about tomorrow doing the signage because the signage is is awful. And this was. Do you mean Fairycroft or Swan Meadow? Sorry, Swan Meadow. So you're talking about, sorry, the signage to, 
Is Swan Meadow Correct. You, you do it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which, which I think is important. Yes. And one thing which I, I floated and didn't, uh, sorry, tried to float and didn't work was that one thing the car park actually needs is access from the south because um, visitors, visitors coming in from the south are directed right through to the middle of town and out and back again. And um, I, I discussed this with highways without success, but maybe it's something we should look at. And the image of, um, of Swan Meadow is a problem. And it was brought home to me by um, um, a hairdressing appointment last week, whereby I was harangued as a, as a, as a captive in the chair for half an hour um, about... about um, uh, the hairdresser's clients not being able to uh, stay long enough. Um, if you actually have a look at the position of that hairdresser, she's closer to Swan Meadow than to, uh, than to the Commons. So there's a real perception of, uh, of, of Swan Meadow. And I think perhaps Cabinet could, could look at that in the future because it's, it's an excellent long-term car park and the walking distance is actually remarkably short. Well, thank you for that contribution. And there were a number of points that uh, both the town council and the town team have raised in terms of whether it's sufficiently lit. To, it, it, we're not doing currently, obviously, but in the winter it's sufficiently lit. People have a, a slight fear there. Uh, we did indicate that at some point we'd be resurfacing that car park. You know, we reconfigured it to add an extra 40-odd spaces uh, in lieu of, um, uh, of the Waitrose car park. And, and I think that needs to be smoothed out. Um, so anything that we can do, the signage is happening. Uh, your point about uh, coming from uh, the south, I believe, will be covered by the signs because it would be the most direct route. Uh, so we'll have to see you know, whether that works in terms of people getting in there. Uh, but as you know, I, I, I mean, I personally use that car park fairly regularly and used it every Saturday during the closure of uh, Waitrose um, and uh, it, it does work efficiently we have periodic troubles with the uh, machines but hopefully they're dealt with um, but anything we can do to make that car park more attractive we'll be absolutely listen to that and, and, and would want to uh, put that forward so thank you for that sorry I beg your pardon. I'm sorry. This is Portway. Okay. Do you want to put your mic on? Okay. Right. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Well, thank you for allowing me to speak. I come here on behalf of the market traders, the restaurant owners, the um, independent shops and the other larger shops in Saffron Walden, all of whom have been experiencing severe difficulties and problems with customers having long enough time to spend in our beautiful town. This letter is from the manager of Santander. I'm writing to you as a reminder, as a member and business manager with the within the Saffron Morden community. It has been brought to my attention by my local business customers in a wonderfully entrepreneurial town that there has been a decision to limit the common car park to two hours per visit. Saffron Morden is a unique town and thrives on its local business and SMEs, small to medium 
enterprises. I have a large portfolio of local customers. I am proud to say I can help financially on a regular basis. These customers depend on the income of the local and visiting population to ensure their survival and the economy of Saffron Walden. I believe that limiting people to two hours a day will deter them from visiting this beautiful town and therefore can only have a detrimental effect on the community and the economy of Saffron Walden. I, along with the vast majority of people I have contact with, oppose to this change and strongly suggest that you rethink before Saffron Walden becomes a forgotten town. Yours sincerely, Daniel Frost. And I must apologise to you, Mr Rolfe, because this letter has been written to you and I will hand it to you in a moment. I have been a market trader for 32 years and an antique dealer as well. And my job, I get to meet a lot of people. I don't just sell things on the market. I belong to the initiative. I help with the Christmas light switch on with the town council. I'm a Saffron Walden Diamond and I sing in a gospel choir when I can. So I get to meet a lot of people and for some reason they share their problems and tell me their woes. And when the car park was changed to two hours, we had mayhem in the market square and people were shouting to me to do something. So I sent out a polite email to a few councillors saying what is happening. And before long, the town council contacted me to say that they knew all about it and they were going to draw up a petition. I, along with others, was asked to host it, and I willingly did so. Um, I've managed to struggle through business and watch people suffer. It's not easy. Um, one shop, for instance, took £43 on a, on a day, on a market day, and that's pretty hard. You know how much rent they pay, their rates, and their staff. And it started to concern me that if the independence of our town, which I uncovered and was absolutely shocked to the content of those shops, putting these up and around, not to annoy any of you, but to draw, to draw attention to the fact that we're serious. We really would like the fourth hour back. And I discovered the most amazing shops. And what occurred to me walking around well, it would be a real pity to lose any of them. Excuse me. If these shops were to fold, these shops are the very core of the support for local charities. If they can't support the local charities, like the Round Table, they can't support riding for the disabled and different things. So you have a knock-on effect. The town council workforce work, in my opinion, I'm a little bit biased about this, over and above the call of duty. Our town, when it features in any film, has not had a quick makeover. It's like that all the time. The tourist information board work tirelessly, go off to big events to promote us. And the town team made a film to promote the town. So if people can't stay here when they get here, like the chap who's written in the paper this week, and have lunch and shop and then have afternoon tea, that might be their one release from a stressful week, a rotten time, or they're coming for a treat or a birthday that they can't now take. Everybody finds Swan Meadow difficult if they have somebody impaired 
handicapped, elderly. Try pushing a buggy from Swan Meadow with three children, keeping them happy, going round the shops and taking that shopping back to the car. If you go to the common, the children can play adjacent to the car. The mother can load the car up. On Carnival Day, it's absolutely essential that there is four hours. The guys have all the floats on the, on the common. People park. They go and enjoy the floats. They walk to the high street. They take up their position. It's a tradition in this town. And then they go back and enjoy everything again. If the four hours isn't in place, they can't do that. And to do that from Swan Meadow would be a shame. I can see where you're all coming from, that Swan Meadow needs to be used more, but there are ways of getting it used more. Publicity, toilets, and making it more friendly for a woman walking back to Swan Meadow in the dock. Because we have had an incident in the early days. And yes, you're right, some of the things behind this move weren't expressly made known to all parties but I think we have to forgive and forget and think what is important for Saffron Walden and it's a beautiful place and if people can't come here and enjoy it think how many people went to Audley End today I wasn't one of them I moved a single mother today free of charge to help her out um, and uncovered all kinds of atrocities and you've just given her a house um, and I thought well that was my bit for the day I socialise with those people all the time they're my colleagues and they're presenters on that programme I don't need to go to Audley End but the point I'm making is some of them would want to come and visit the town and see what it's all about if you come like the chap did on Tuesday and you're upset he came from Burwell he went to the paper, he made a complaint, he may never come back. We don't want that. We want people to come back. If an independent shopkeeper takes a rent, they have to take it for the year. They have to pay staff to help them on a Saturday. If they have to t tell the Saturday staff they can't um, take them, they have no money to go for uni or whatever it is they need their cash for at weekends. And so everything is crumbling. It's not carrying on. The shopkeeper can't pay the mortgage. The house gets repossessed. You have to house them. It's a huge cave-in. You know, and we really need to think about it. And I know that you think three hours is enough. But you can't get your roots done in three hours. You can't choose a wedding dress in three hours. Kevin Henry said, you can't go to the shops and come and look um, at putting your house on the market and get it all done in three hours. It's not possible. And as Sir Alan said, why can't people just pay on the way out? And then you get money on a Sunday as well. And I think you really should think again. Everything in life is forgivable. Mistakes are made. I truly believe you have made a mistake. And I'm not a vigilante, I'm just a Saffron Walden girl who loves the place. And thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Jackie. And, um, you know, clearly uh, you, you said that with real passion and feeling, and we fully respect that. Uh, your, your letter did obviously refer to two hours. I think we are now talking in a slightly different environment, but you then referred, obviously, to the, to the four hours. I won't repeat the points I've made already. Um, I think uh, we need to understand uh, the impact of three hours. We need to understand the impact of making Swan Meadow um, easy to, to find and as attractive as it possibly can be. Um, and then, as I said... We, we what will... harm would it be to give back the fourth hour? What harm? 
Because it's, uh, I won't repeat what I said earlier, it is a balance. It is a balance between uh, attracting people in to shop, then give the opportunity for other people to do the same thing. It's a balance between that and having sufficient car park. We're very fortunate that we've got a car park the size of Swan Meadow. Okay, it may not be quite as close as some want, but close enough uh, to, to, to deal with pretty much all the demands of shopping in our, in our town. Uh, it is very rare that you cannot get into Swan Meadow, even at peak times at Christmas. So we're very fortunate in that respect. So I don't think it's a question of putting people off because they can't park in Saffron Morton. It's just a question of finding that right balance so that uh, we can keep the churn where, it ne where churn is needed uh, and, and having sufficient capacity for them to shop. But as I say, let's let it settle down. Uh, let's uh, do what we need to do with Swan Meadow uh, and, and then we'll review it. But if you review this in 12 months, this town will have taken a severe decline. No, I promise you it won't. The numbers involved in that fourth hour, it just doesn't add up that, that the town is going to go into decline on that but basis. But you haven't even put the third hour in place. Well, it, it takes it's months it, to do it. Yeah, it does take months. I've, yeah, I'm, I fully understand that. You see, yeah. and not everybody has your life. Some people have very little compared to you and I, and it's those people that like to come here. They like to walk around because it doesn't cost anything. You can enjoy the place, and those that want to use the services, and then those businesses will come. But the statistics, not just in Saffron Walden. Uh, but universally, uh, are that up to three hours are by far and away the biggest percentage of time that people take. And that those who want to stay, for other reasons, um, uh, for a much longer period, uh, that, is a, that, that is a different business. But the statistics are that for, for shopping, uh, with, okay, a coffee and uh, possibly the hairdresser as well, that three hours does cover that. So... But we have, we have heard you, Jackie. We have heard. We've gone from two to three hours. We listened to that petition. Uh, if we've done nothing... No, I... you didn't listen to the petition. The third hour was given back after I made a telephone call and you revisited the situation on the following Thursday. And I wasn't able to attend because I was in Nottingham working at an antique fair. Um, however, Heather did come. And uh, yes, you posthumously gave it back, but it hasn't been put in place. And if we need to save Saffron Ward and keep it strong, it has to go in place pretty quick. And you need to rethink the fourth hour. I promise you. I wouldn't sit here and waste my time. I could be where I should be tonight, which is helping a local restaurateur with an open mic night, which I did completely free of charge to help his business have a boost because he was suffering. Okay. And to give young people a platform for their music. I mean, we all have the same aspiration, which is to have a vibrant town. Uh, so, but it's just Your a Your word churning seems to not fit with the town at all. Well... That's, I was in retail for 30 years, so um, that's Where? what you need. You need customer throughput. You Where need, were you, you in need retail? Sorry? Where were you in retail? Marks and Spencer. Ah. Okay, I think we're starting to move away slightly, but yeah. thank you very much for the presentations. We're now going to move on uh, to item nine, uh, which is um, a presentation on Fairycroft. Uh, the proposed grant of £80,000 to Ferrycroft House Community Interest Company. Um, now, many of you are aware of the situation uh, around Ferrycroft that uh, it was a house uh, owned and run by Six County Council for young people. Um, and um, it, uh, I won't use the word, went into 
declined, but certainly it wasn't sufficiently used. Uh, and uh, somebody stepped forward, um, a gentleman by the name of Tim Atkinson, who has invested quite a lot of his own money and has really turned the place around. He's now a very, very vibrant um, uh, um, centre for young people who can find a niche and uh, a number of those who came uh, with some difficulties in the first place are now volunteers there so it is a, it is a very uh, successful story. Anyway, getting to the point of our recommendation uh, Mr Atkinson and others uh, wish to purchase um, uh, Ferrycroft House uh, and they've raised a mortgage uh, towards it um, and um, Essex County Council uh, has agreed uh, to grant £80,000 from their assisted purchase scheme um, and the recommendation tonight is for Uttlesford District Council to grant £80,000 from the Strategic Initiatives Fund to Ferrycroft House CIC to assist in the purchase of the house subject to the conditions and restrictions referred to within this report which basically protect our money should anything uh, happen to an immediate sale or any other eventuality. So, very happy to take questions on that. Mr. Councillor Dean. This sounds a very worthy and an exciting scheme, but I'd, I'd just like to query paragraph 24. It, it says that it is... It is proposed that a charge be placed on the property to protect the council's investment until 2036. I presume it means it's proposed that a charge will be placed on the property until 2036 to protect the council's investment. But what I'm trying to understand is what is this, what is this protection that comes from making a charge, which I, I guess is uh, an alternative to interest charges. In other words, it's not, a, it's not a loan, it's a grant, um, but, but we get some income from it. So I'm just trying to understand the mechanism here. Mr. Webb. It's not intended that the council receive any income from this. It is a grant, but it's a repayable grant in the event of the premises being sold in the period of time referred to in the report. The charge is a legal mortgage, which means that the property cannot be sold without that mortgage being discharged. So that's the security for the council. We're not left suing somebody for the money back. The money has to be paid back to the council from the proceeds of the sale in the event the property is sold. So basically, Councillor Dean, we're just protecting our investment should anything uh, change in the short term, which I think is good commercial practice. Councillor Lodge. So, sorry, just to make sure I've understood it. So we're saying that we, were we not to make this annual charge, whatever it is... No, it's, not it's not a charge. It's not a charge. It's a legal charge over the building. It's, it's not, not a legal fee. charge. It's, not a fee. Oh, it's a legal charge, as Councillor Lodge has explained. No, but it says it will be index-linked. Yeah. How can you index-link a, a legal agreement? The repayment is index-linked, so we are granting a sum of money which is repayable over a period of time in the event of the property being sold and the activities ceasing at the centre. The amount we get back is a percentage of the original grant, but it's increased in line with inflation uh, so that in real terms the money comes back rather than the valued amount in the event of a sale. And as Council Lodge said, it, it's basically a mortgage on the property um, to secure that money in the event the property is sold because the effect of a mortgage, as you know, with regard to your, your own properties, if you sell it, the mortgage must be paid back from the proceeds of sale. Okay. 
Councillor Lodge. Thank you. Um, I ought to declare interest in that I'm a, an Essex councillor who is uh, uh, actually selling the property. And in fact, I've been very involved with this. I, um, I think it's probably about two years ago I presented a petition to the full council at Essex to, uh, to uh, stop them selling it, try to slow down, slow down their um, um, sort of keenness to, uh, to, to uh, get money back from, from the building. So um, just to put that in, into context, I think I'm, I'm obviously not voting on this. However, I would uh, very much urge the, uh, the Cabinet to improve this. As Councillor Rolfe has said, it is a, a, a wonderful project. Uh, it's doing great things already. Fancy having two recording studios and a video editing suite in the same building. Um, the, um, the, the, the youth of the town absolutely love the place and the petition I presented was from several hundred of the former members of the youth group there. So personally, I couldn't support this any, any more strongly. That's great. If there are no other questions, I've read out the recommendation. Those, I'm sorry. Pardon? You pro excellent. Thank you for reminding me. Do we have a seconder? Councillor Redfern, thank you. Um, those in favour? Unanimous. Thank you very much indeed. Item 10. Now we have a, um, a speaker here, Councillor Freeman, but what we customarily do, Councillor Freeman, is for the, uh, the person who's putting this forward, who isn't Councillor Barker because she's uh, on holiday, uh, but Councillor Redfern will put it forward and then we'll invite you to the mic. Um, thank you, Chairman. I will do my best. I don't um, claim to be an authority on this, but I did offer Councillor Barker to present this for her in her absence. Um, I think you'll see from the minutes of the last um, Cabinet meeting that the only thing we were going to bring forward to this meeting was a, re was a report on the part about the um, renaming or renumbering of um, any street. So I just want to, at that point we were saying it had to be 100% of the um, people affected or the properties affected had to agree to the change. We're now um, suggesting that it's two-thirds um, of the people that are affected that would have to agree for us to be able to um, make any changes. Um, I have a few notes here. Um, the current policy um, has been re reviewed and revised as there is a need to bring it into alignment with best working practices and legislation that allows the UDC to carry out its statutory duty as a street naming and numbering authority. Um, and as far as um, I know there's some concerns about how it affects town and um, parish councils. Basically, if someone wants to have their street renamed or renumbered, they need to approach the parish or town council and um, then they obviously then inform us and we will organise um, a ballot um, and, and print the sheets and the, get the list and we would ask the town or parish council to send these lists. If they get over two-thirds, then the um, parish or town council would then ask our um, that, uh, street naming or numbering department to instigate um, the changes. Um, I think the reason that Councillor Barker, well we were all a little bit uncomfortable that 100% of anything is really very difficult to get and I think we have, if I remember correctly, I think it was Bannister Green, we have a problem mm -hmm. with um, there was only one person in a street who didn't want something to be changed and it was affecting all the emergency services as well as the people that lived there because it was so closely named to another street. So um, what I would like to do is um, ask Cabinet to um, 
Well, we've already um, agreed the recommendations at the last Cabinet meeting, but I would like to um, ask them to accept the fact that this um, change to the the percentage that you need to have for the street naming and numbering. Um, I would also like to point out that um, I know there is um, some concern over this, but um, as far as we can work out, never in living memory of anybody here have we actually been asked up until now um, to change or renumber a street name. So I don't think it's something we're going to be particularly bothered with. But um, I'll leave it there and I will attempt to ask any, answer any questions should anyone have any. Thank you very much. Uh, Councillor Freeman. Thank you, Chairman, again for <coughs> allowing me to speak. <coughs> I actually live in a street which has two number ones, two number twos, and two number threes, and it's one of the shortest streets in South and Walden. Um, and so maybe I should be one of the first to apply for the street to be renumbered, at the very least. Um, when I, Chairman, when I first became a town councillor, I thought, this is good, I, what, what can I do? And I looked it up and I discovered there were one or two things I was allowed to do. One was the naming of streets, new streets, and the other one was um, the management of allotments. And that seemed to be about the limit of it. And I was obviously deceived because, in fact, the naming of streets wasn't really air responsibility. It was obviously the district council's responsibility. But in most cases, the district council in the past has usually deferred to the town council or the relevant parish council um, on uh, the choice of names. And that really, Chairman, is the thing that we're particularly concerned with, that the best people to name new streets in a town or a village or whatever are the folks that live there. It's, it's almost a no-brainer, really. It's fairly obvious. Um, developers often come out with exotic names. Uh, I've got a Tudor Park in Saffron Warden. Um, doesn't look as if it was made in Shakespeare's time, but anyway. Um, and that's a marketing name. You know, it will pass away with time. Um, and we had a, a middle march once upon a time, but that also faded away, thank goodness. So what I would be very reluctant to see, Chairman, is the loss of this linkage whereby we can suggest names and provided they're not completely stupid, they're actually accepted. Um, that's one point. The other point is that the legislation which you choose to adopt, and you may not have much choice in this, but there has been... A, not in their view, no consultation, not very much. Um, one of their former councillors who used to work for the serious Ford office um, went through the proposed modern legislation and came out with a critique of 19 points, uh, which are unanswered. They're all in red. I'm happy to make this available to you. But there is obviously still work to be done on this to avoid some of the more obvious anomalies. And the anomalies are what will trip us up in the future. So really it just comes down to being able to name streets sensibly according to common sense. You know, we've named streets after um, uh, a fighter pilot who was brought up in Saffron Ward and was lost in the last war. Uh, the sad thing is that quite a number of these streets um, possibly aren't allowed under the new guidelines. And I have, for example, from uh, Newport 
uh, things like Elephant Green is rather a gorgeous name. That would be disallowed. You can't have an elephant. And you can't have a green. Most of the greens would be disallowed. And there's lots of things like this. At Church End, you couldn't have one of them. Uh, and England and its villages is very much uh, a feature of names like this. So where you live in Great Chesterford would be absolutely full of them. You've got a Carmel Street and a... It changes and mutates into another street not very far away Come from Carmen. Yeah, exactly. So that's, a, that's a good trick. I like it. You know? I'm sure that isn't allowed either. So the thing is, a measure of consultation would be, would be um, valued, Chairman. Uh, and there are points that have been picked out by somebody who's good at that sort of thing, which needs to be resolved before you actually cast it in stone, I suggest. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Um, you had your hand up, Councillor Redfern. Uh, yes, thank you, Chairman. I just wanted to comment on the um, um, consultation of actual street naming and parish councils. Um, developers can put forward their suggestions. They come into um, come into our into UDC's office. They generally go back to the town or parish council, and and and, we, and they will be asked for comment. And I can. I can tell you about this because we had the same thing in Great Chesterford not that long ago where there was a new little enclave of um, very expensive executive homes have been built on Rose Lane and they sent in I think it was three different suggestions of what they wanted to call this little bit and um, it went round my parish council and everyone was passing comment and I said I'm really sorry I don't really understand what's wrong with um, Rose Lane after all that's where they are and so we put our comment into Uttlesford and that those houses are all now named whatever house Rose Lane and that is because the, this district council does listen to its town and parish councils so I don't think you need to fear on, on that. We have the same thing because we had Cottingham Park which I'm pleased to say is um, carried on as being Stanley Road because that's what it joins on to so I can speak from experience here that um, you have got a listening council and they do consult with town and parish councils. So, uh, Councillor Dean wants to speak. So, I th as far as I can see, Councillor Freeman, you've, got, you've made three points here. The first is um, the legislation isn't helpful, but it's statutory. We, we'd be pleased to receive your, your paper on that. Uh, and the genesis, obviously, of, of the um, legislation is that it is easy for the emergency services to find their destination. And, and there is, to be fair, there, there is some point in that. Um, so we are bound by legislation, but we would be interested to see uh, whether you know, we need to go back to government on the legislation, because we do do that repeatedly as well. The, the second point which Councillor Redfern covered was uh, those areas that need to be redone maybe your own street is one of those but um, where circumstances have moved on so you have got to, to reconsider. Now as the Chief Executive has said um, we haven't actually ever had one, any of those yet but um, it might well come, in fact we possibly have got one coming up and, and that's where we've changed it to a two thirds majority which seems perfectly legitimate that the locals decide on that so that, that, that's, that's democracy at work then your final point is about what input do town parish councils have on the naming and, and um, Councillor Redfern has answered that point, but I'll just remind you of section 1.5.1, consultation with parish town councils in the document. So after they're put forward by the developer, the suggestions will then be presented to the parish town councils for consideration. Uh, parish town council will be encouraged to submit any alternatives they feel necessary if they do not feel the developer's suggestions are in keeping with the surrounds or history of the site. Agreement must be found. If no agreement is found, then the... Um, you know, Uttlesford District Council will uh, get involved and as uh, Councillor Redford has indicated um, 
you know, satisfactory resolution to the local community has been found in most instances. So I absolutely take your point. Parish, parish and town councils should be very closely involved in uh, the, the naming of new streets. And, uh, uh, but I think that's pretty well protected, actually, in what we're doing. So we, we wouldn't argue with the point that you're making. Any other? Councillor Howell. I beg your pardon, he was. Councillor Dean. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, very pleased with what has been put, put in this um, policy. Um, I, I think you've, if I've understood it correctly, you've overcome the uh, proposal that was in writing and there was email correspondence about town councils being asked to carry out a public consultation. Uh, this is staying with the district rather than getting them to do it on our behalf. Is that, is that correct? Yes, pretty much. Um, the town or parish council will ask the district council to do it. We will create the um, ballot form and, the, and get the names and the addresses of the people that you've got to um, speak to or ask them to fill the ballot form in. And, but we will ask the town councils or the uh, parish councils to distribute those because... Um, and, and to get those to the right people and if I'll, I'll read it here the ballot, form, the ballot will be in the form of a questionnaire containing the headings ballot sheet number and explanation of the street name change process and, the, and UDC street name and numbering services contact details the current street name the question do you wish to change the name of your street answers with tick boxes yes or no ballot return date and ballot paper return address Okay. And, and that is basically what will what will happen. No, that, 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 I think that, it's quite yeah. That, that seems that seems fine. I'll try it out and see how it works. My my main point was that um, we uh, do what's right in terms of uh, consulting the parish council, but we don't uh, inform involve local members and. There was something that happened about five years ago which brought this to my attention, uh, where street naming was taking place on Forest Hall Park in Stansted, and Jeremy Pine will know all about this, um, where the parish council wanted the main thoroughfare that goes through Forest Hall Park to be called Watson Way, but somebody in informing the district council mistyped it as Walson Way, W-A-L-S-O-N. I've never come across a Mr. or a Mrs. Walson, uh, but we have a, a road, which is a bus route, which is called Walson Way. Now, if, if I had been aware of that, I would have said, really? Is this right? And, and I'm sure it would have been picked up. I'm surprised it wasn't picked up here, but it wasn't. It was just went through the system and the post office adopted it and so on. The matter was then compounded a few years later when they created a Watson Way a few hundred yards away from Walson Way. So you've got two words which almost look the same, apart from a little dash. Uh, I don't know to what extent, what confusion that is causing, but nevertheless, that's what's happened. And again, had I known that, I, I'm sure I would have said, hold on, you know, we've made the mistake, let's not compound it by trying to correct it. So my, my question is, why doesn't this procedure at least have some, you know, informance, informing of local members so that at least they have the opportunity to say, this doesn't sound right or whatever the, whatever the comment might be? 
And, and that's consistent with a comment you made previously about the involvement of members on a range of things. And yes. we've fully taken that on board and will endeavour wherever possible to make sure that members are aware of what's going on in their pack. So, so, so can we write it in in some way so that it's not overlooked? In, I'm sure we can that's write it in. Can't we? I'm looking to the Chief Executive. We can write it into the procedure. Yeah, we'll write it into the procedure. So point yeah. absolutely taken. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, okay. I am kind of um, slightly worried now that we're going to inform all these members and you're going to get a flurry of having never renamed a street. I think we're going to have a flurry now. We've got Saffron Walden going, we've got Stansted going. You've got to get... <laughs> right. Okay. I think we've... Uh, uh, Councillor Howell, did you still want to come? Only very, very briefly to say I enjoyed Councillor Freeman's very witty speech and it reminded me um, when we debated this a, a month ago it was the point that you raised um, I, I made the exactly the same point that I'm very concerned and it's important uh, that parish councils and town councils are widely wisely wide, appropriately consulted I was given an assurance and while it's not minuted um, I, I, I believe that it's recognised that parish and town councils will have that precedent when it comes to naming and I feel it's appropriate that within this policy we, we can give that comfort. I look back on the time that Richard and I were on the, on the town council in Saffron Walden together I was particularly pleased that we named so many streets after field of, uh, the fields of Saffron Walden. I look back on the naming of the spike in particular. Um, it's important that we do keep the character of our towns and keep things that are relevant and appropriate to the locality. Thank you very much. Okay. Oh. Councillor Oliver, then Councillor Dean. I didn't realise there was so much uh, discussion on this subject. I'd just like to give some support to what is happening because in my own district of Clavering, the developer decided he wanted to call the new development St. Catherine's Grange, which had no relevance to anybody. And I think the only thing that happened was the people who bought the houses had then had a problem because then it went to the parish council who said, no, they were not having that name. They will have Eldridge Close, and Eldridge was the old field name. And thus, the parish council were given priority by the district council on the naming of that. So I can assure you that happened. Thank you. Councillor Dean? I, I did read in the document about street numbering as well. It's not just naming, it's numbering. And, uh, and I fully agree with the normal convention that one names odds on one side and evens on the other. But please, please, please do not do what I discovered only three weeks ago on, yes, Forest Hall Park again. It numbers odd numbers there ascending and then even numbers on this side ascending in the opposite direction. I have never ever in my life come across anything like that, you know, where they run number in opposite directions. So who on earth did that? I don't know and I don't want to know. Okay. But uh, please let's not ever let it happen again. Good. I'm going to put this to the vote. Do I have a proposal? Councillor Redfern is the proposer, a seconder, Councillor Wells, to adopt the street naming and numbering policy March 2016 and uh, secondly to adopt the street naming and numbering guide to the process. Those in favour? Unanimous. Thank you very much indeed. We now move to item 11, procurement strategy. Councillor Howell. Well, this is a much more interesting subject than street numbering and naming. This is our procurement strategy. Um, we have an obligation to refresh this every year. Um, procurement performs an important role within the, the structure and governance of this council. It's designed to minimise the risk of challenge by unsuccessful tenderers, and it also has a, a role to play in reducing the organisation's run 
funding costs. I know that my colleague on the left felt as part of the Audit Committee's self-assessment that it was important that they saw sight of this policy and it went to the last meeting of the Performance and Audit Committee uh, and I was pleased to see it had a, 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 a good piece of debate and discussion around it. I'm very sorry, I should have reminded Maggie I hope you took a note of the declaration of interest that I declared at the start of this business in reference to this particular item. Um, the the um, procurement strategy paper itself sets out um, the approach and um, our approach to different values of procurement, and in particular those over £50,000. £50, the details of those are set out on pages 5 to 9. Um, on pages 10... Um, we have a summary of our ambitions and priorities for 2016 and 17, and then on pages 11 to 15, our, our work plan uh, for 2016-17, those that are in progress and those that are to be procured. And it makes very interesting reading. Thank you very much, Councillor Howell. Any comments? This has been, I believe, through performance and audit. Yes, Chairman, and it was, there were no additional comments, and it was much appreciated that we had the chance to see it, and we should be looking forward to seeing it on a regular basis throughout the year. And uh, this Council is very fortunate to have a very professional procurement team. Indeed. This is Oakley, so um, I'm sure Council can pass our thanks to her and her team and the work she does. Okay, well if there are no other comments, uh, the recommendation is that Cabinet is recommended to approve the procurement strategy as attached to this report. Uh, proposed by Councillor Howell, seconded by Councillor Redfern. Those in favour? Carried unanimously. Item 12, Statement of Community Involvement. Uh, Councillor Barker would have done this if she'd been here, um, but I will do it in her absence. Um, and this has also been through a previous committee, well, a working group in this case, uh, the Planning Policy Working Group, where it was discussed uh, extensively. Um, this is about uh, the Council's um, uh, statutory uh, need, but also its own desire to uh, consult and work with its community and it lays out how it does that at page 65 of your papers. Um, as I say, it, it, it received a very thorough um, analysis at Planning Policy Working Group, but my colleagues who sit on that can comment accordingly. Um, so I, I put this uh, statement to you uh, and uh, the recommendation is that the amended Statement of Community Involvement as set out in the Report of Representation be adopted. Anybody wish to speak on that? Councillor Redfern. Um, no issue with, with any of this. It was just one of the, going through the um, different comments and it was the one um, on page 63, section it's a section 26, planning applications. It says, Newport Parish Council is disappointed at the lack of weight and any recognition that UDC gives to the views and representations of parish councils and local rep residents' opinions when making planning decisions. And um, whilst I um, appreciate that this isn't the case, I do think it's something we need to think about because I think that, you know, attend, I attend a lot of parish councils now and, they, and for some reason we aren't um, making their opinions feel valued. And I, and, and I, I know that planning takes into consideration all the responses they get, but I think it's, it, 
without, they feel a bit demoralised sometimes because they don't understand the reasons why they haven't. I know it's because probably they haven't got their own way, but I just think it's important that parish councils, you know, it's, it's disappointing that parish councils feel we don't pay enough attention to what they say. I think it's, the, it's a feeling, it's not fact, but I just wonder if there's some way of us communicating better with them. I'm not saying there is, I'm just saying perhaps we could think about it. Councillor Dean, and then Councillor Howell. Just a comment that this was a matter that uh, was raised at uh, group leaders' meetings some months ago with the previous chief executive. I can't remember what the initiative was that was due to happen. I don't think it has happened. So perhaps we can go back and check on this tomorrow to remind ourselves and see if there is some activity that the, or, or initiative that the council can take to improve this perception. Uh, Councillor Dean's referring to uh, the meeting that uh, the three uh, group leaders have with the chief executive, which we and we have a, uh, another one of those tomorrow. Um, we'll certainly do that, um, and um, it is a balance, obviously, because um, it's not always possible to follow um, community wishes on strictly planning grounds, uh, and the planning committee are increasingly, I have to say, uh, the, the committee is being uh, highly uh, um, recommended in terms of its, its, its adherence to what is possible and what isn't possible. And um, we probably need to extend that um, knowledge to more parish councils because at the end of the day, uh, there isn't any point in putting something through that um, will, will be overturned at the first uh, appeal. So uh, I think there's a point there. I think the other point is we didn't, what you're saying is we didn't approve or we did approve because that would have to go out after every application. So we need to find a way, um, because that probably is not possible, but we understand the spirit of what you're saying, and I'm reminded by Councillor Dean that we have had this conversation before. So we'll have that. We'll talk tomorrow to see what we can do. It's a perfectly legitimate engagement with the community. Um, Councillor Howell. I, I don't want to prolong the debate. Um, it is an important point that Councillor Redfern makes. I've been a parish councillor for a long time. I've also been a district councillor for a period of time. It can be very, very frustrating for parish councils who know the community, know the circumstances, and feel that their views are not being respected. I also think that part of the problem is that many of the comments that are put in by parish councils don't take into account planning law. Mm. They are not valid comments, if that makes sense. I mean, it's a long time ago. I won't just say which parish council, but I remember sitting on one where the parish council said that so-and-so had only recently moved to the village and so hadn't yet qualified to build an extension, whereas someone else had a young family and could build whatever they wanted. Um, so, I mean, I, I recognise that it is a challenge, but they do put an awful lot of time and effort into commenting. I know that from my own experience and watching the parish councils that I represent. Um, and I feel it would merit some type of training for parish councils mm. so people mm. were better aware of what mm. comments are going to be passed and, and taken into account, and some which are, frankly, there is no point even putting them in. No, I think that sums it up on all our behalf. So if there are no other uh, comment, uh, if you're happy with the recommendation, as I read out, and I, I, I will propose, do I have a seconder, Councillor Wells, um, that the amendments statement of community involvement as set out in the report of representation be adopted. Those in favour? <coughs> 
Thank you. Carried unanimously. Item 13, another Councillor Barker. She certainly chose the right week to be on holiday. Um, this time it's the proposals for revised airspace change process consultation by the Civil Aviation Authority. Um, I am actually going to ask Mr Pine to talk to this uh, because this is getting out of my range of expertise. Thank you, Chairman. Yes, this matter has also been considered by the Stansted Airport Advisory Panel recently at its meeting on the 10th of May. The report is about a consultation on changes that the CIA is proposing to make to the airspace change process, and that is the process that it follows when a sponsor, such as an airport operator, wants to make changes to a flight path. The consultation follows from a review of the existing process, which was carried out on the CIA's behalf by Helios, which is a management company, and the report does refer to the Helios review where appropriate. Now, the CIA has set up an online consultation response form consisting of 40 questions requiring either a yes, no, or don't know answer with space to give reasons. The reason they've done this is to make the consultation as inclusive as possible for all those who are interested, be it um, local authorities, stakeholders, community groups, individuals, whatever. Um, Myself and colleagues from Environmental Health will deal with the detail of the questions, but what we are asking the Cabinet for confirmation of is that they are happy in principle with the overall changes. We won't go through the 40 questions in detail. The report before you explains the current process. It sets out the CAA's reasons for change and explains and comments on the most significant proposed changes in paragraphs 15 to 30 of the report. And I have also attached a six-page extract from the CAA's consultation document at the end of the report, which includes a flowchart comparing the existing process and the proposed one. The main aim of the changes is to increase transparency of the process, and there are two main ways of doing this. The first main way is to introduce what are called four gateway or sign-off opportunities for the CIA at different stages of the process. This is just to give reassurance to public and other stakeholders that the CIA are aware of each individual consultation process and that they are keeping a close eye on what a sponsor is proposing and how the sponsor is going about conducting the, the, the change process. The second main opportunity is to increase the involvement for public, uh, sorry, to increase the opportunity for public involvement throughout the process. But at this point in time, the CIA say they are shying away from introducing an appeals mechanism and a more interactive public evidence session as recommended by Helios. Chairman, for the reasons set out in paragraphs 15 to 30 of the report, officers and the airport advisory panel are supportive of the proposed changes subject to the comments raised in those paragraphs. So the recommendation to Cabinet at those points set out in paragraphs 3 to 5. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you very much. Uh, and um, I will read those recommendations out um, in a moment. But uh, it is supporting, obviously, the proposal for a revised uh, airspace change process. Um, and thank you for your comments, because having read this report, it does seem to be a more democratic and consultative way of approach. We're, we're still um, digesting the last airspace change, uh, which clearly affected a number of people um, in, in, in our community. Um, so this does seem to be an improvement on the way it was conducted last time and you've just made that point but colleagues may have other comments to make they don't right uh, so the recommendation from staff that 
The Council supports the CAA's proposal for revised airspace change process subject to the additional comments set out in this report in paragraphs 18 to 30. Officers send the Council's response via the dedicated online platform that the CAA has set up by the consultation closing date of the 15th of June. Following the Cabinet resolution and in consultation with the panel chairman, officers add any other points of detail they subsequently feel are appropriate which give added weight to the Council's response such as may arise from the Strategic Aviation Special Interest Group's discussion of the consultation. So there's a further meeting to come. Yes, Chairman. The SASIG is the Local Government Association's Aviation Policy Working Group. Mm. And obviously it, one of the things that is most, most, um, most important to it is the way that the CA conducts these airspace change proposals. So what SASIG is doing is it is thinking up its, what its response should be as the next main meeting of SASIC is until after the consultation period ex, um, closes, what we'll probably do is, is do it via email. So what I was proposing is if any good ideas come out of the SASIG response that we haven't thought of, yep. then in consulta consultation with the panel chairman, I'll get them included in the council's response. Okay, that seems very sensible. Okay, so um, I'll, I'll propose that those, these recommendations. Do I have a seconder? Councillor Redfern, those in favour? Carried unanimously. Thank you very much indeed. So item uh, 14 is the appointment of working groups and item 15, we'll take the two together, um, appointment of representation. These are on pages 107 to 114 um, and uh, I think we've all seen these uh, lists before. There are, I don't believe, any changes. Thank you very much Mr Pine. Thank you. Um, any changes from the position before the, in, in, in the last year? So are we um, happy? No, no. Councillor Dean. Depends whether you're, uh, are you looking at the version that was sent out because there was a mistake in that um, uh, a change that I put in didn't find its way onto that version of the So list, which, which, which um, group which are you talking about? The, what's it called? The Community... Community Achievement Awards, is it? Community Achievement Panel. Yes, I'd like to rem remove um, Lizzie Parr and replace her with Janice Lachlan, please. Okay. Thank you for that. Are there any other? Councillor Lodge. Yes, just one other thing. You may, you may remember I did, I did mention it uh, fairly early last year that Saffron Screen decided that as we didn't support them anymore, they, uh, they wouldn't have a representative on there. So I was spurned. Right, okay. Well, we're sorry and I, about think, I think that's probably still, still, still remain. Yeah. So we take that off? I think we should take it off, yes. Yeah. Okay. Any other changes? If not, we note... Thank you very much indeed. So that uh, moves us to item 16, which is a paper that you have been given this evening. Um, Aspire. Councillor Howell. A very short, catchy title, and one which uh, Mr Webb is responsible for, but none, nevertheless one which I'm happy to recommend uh, to, to Cabinet. You'll recall that back in December of last year, we agreed in principle to establish a special purpose company, um, it would be wholly, a wholly owned subsidiary of the council and its purpose would be to develop a range of commercial opportunities and uh, I won't give my normal speech about a 
council that needs to evolve the way it I'm, I'm doing it already I, I will try not to give the longer version of the speech about a council that needs to evolve the way it approaches its activities and seek to develop alternative funding routes but it is a very important element of how we future proof the council that we begin the process of preparing alternative revenue sources uh, as we take account of the fact that central government funding will almost certainly decrease over time and we cannot rely solely on our neighbours and our community through council tax to pay the, um, the difference. So the proposal is to set up a network of companies, a, a group of companies, um, of which effectively the cabinet would be the shareholder um, that will undertake a range of commercial activities. The, the work that has gone in um, into setting this up has come up with a proposal on the second page and I should apologise first of all that these are hot off the press and they didn't form part of the original cabinet pack um, but I hope you've had a chance to read and digest the contents. The intention is to set up a, a holding company to be, a called, to be called Aspire Holdings UDC Limited and under it to have three wholly owned subsidiaries, Aspire Rentals Limited, Aspire Land Agreements Limited and Aspire Property Services Limited. Each of those will have different activities, discrete activities, with a single holding company. Um, the purpose of today's recommendation is to approve <coughs> the establishment of these three companies and then to agree the articles of association of each of the companies and those were also circulated to, to, the, member, to the Cabinet. Um, each of the articles effectively mirror themselves, they are all equivalent, with the exception of section 4, which talks about the business of each of the specific um, subsidiary companies and, and their, their purpose. Um, I speak as somebody who, um, who deals quite extensively um, with, with local councils in my commercial life, and my business life. Individually, councillors are all good eggs. But collectively, um, most commercial organisations have a reluctance to engage with councillors and the strong recommendation has always been that if we wish to partner with pri the private sector, we would be well advised to ensure that the officers of these companies were the officers of the council rather than councillors. That having been said, I am adamant that these companies should report to the cabinet and we should act effectively as shareholders and be able to control and direct the companies in how, how they operate without being involved in the day-to-day -day activities. So you'll see within the articles, there's a, within Schedule 1, there's a, a, a series of matters that are reserved to the shareholder, which gives us, the Cabinet, and effectively the Council, the, the, the confidence that the power that we have as a Cabinet can be appropriately um, directed um, in, in the way these companies operate. The paper sets out, thirdly, the appointment of the following three directors to each of the company. Uh, which is Richard Orty, uh, the Assistant Director of Corporate Services, Nicola Whitman, again, Assistant Director of ICT and Facilities, and Adrian Webb, who is our Director of Finance and Corporate Services. And that is the recommendation. Thank you. Councillor Lodge. I, I understand, uh, Councillor Howell, to say that we're appointing Cabinet as shareholders. I don't quite see how... How, how that works and how they can be and surely it's the council which is the shareholder in the company. 
the, um, the proposal is that the Cabinet will fulfil the role of shareholder. Effectively, Council appoints the Cabinet um, and the Cabinet is responsible and answerable to Council in its entirety, but it is a decision, the direction and the uh, agreement of the business plan, the routine reporting on progress will come to Cabinet in the same way that most other activities of this Council comes to Cabinet. And then, as the Cabinet member responsible for finance, I will clearly report back to full Council if Council had lack of, a lack of confidence in the activities um, or wish to direct these, these companies a particular way, there are tools that are available to Council to do that in exactly the same way that there are tools available to Council to direct me on any other matter if they choose to exercise them collectively. But it is the appropriate place, in my opinion, to have the day-to-day control as, as a shareholder effectively. Maybe just a tad technical, but the name on the on the share registration certificate will be Uttlesford District Council, won't it? Yeah, okay. And sorry, could I ask another question then? Yep. Uh, the um, holding company could could um, could you give me um, cogent reasons for the need for a holding company which I don't quite see at the moment? Should we just deal with the previous points? I think it's a very important one. And uh, what uh, Councillor Howell has stressed is that there will be no difference to this um, um, piece of, uh, of work than other um, areas that uh, where Cabinet reports to full Council. Um, so we fully take your point, Councillor Lodge, that, uh, but I what we don't want to get into a scenario is that full Council makes a decision as to whether we build a new house here or a new house there. But, but what we do want is that full Council is very clear the direction of travel uh, for the company, um, how it's performing, uh, and as, uh, as Councillor Howell has indicated, you know, it, it, it has powers within its means to um, uh, to uh, deal with, with with the actions uh, in the usual way. Yeah, I think I'm comfortable with that. Okay, but moving on to your next point, uh, which is more technical, I'll answer Councillor Howell to respond. Uh, technical or or not. Um, the, the, the fact is that the advice we've taken and looking at how other councils have, have undertaken this and looking at the way that some have done this successfully and others have done it not quite so successfully, um, the suggestion to us and one that I feel is, is a sensible and, and pragmatic one is to have different subsidiary companies that have discrete and quite clear different activities. So Aspire Rentals, for the sake of argument, would be engaged in property letting, commercial property letting. It has its own purpose. It will have its own profit stream and costs and the like, and we will be able to see its performance. Um, Aspire Land Agreements, quite separately, will look to develop land which perhaps the council owns or take an interest in other plots of land. It will have a very different activity and I think that it will help us as an organisation if we can see and have transparency as to which of our services, our service functions, are, how they are performing individually in the same way that we have oversight or we have um, transparency about how waste 
um, for example, is delivered as a service within the council and how our community engagement is delivered. Otherwise, we have run the risk with a single entity um, of, of, lo of losing that transparency. Um, it will also allow us to effectively partner with, with, with third parties in the private sector who may not be interested in partnering on a, on a rental business, but they might be very interested in partnering or on a, partnering on, on a, on a land um, uh, transaction. So it allows us to discreetly package things up, gives us that form of that's, that transparency that we, we desire, um, and I recognise there's a degree of duplication as a consequence, but it allows us to future-proof this so as things develop, we, we won't find ourselves caught out after the event and say, well, if only we'd set up separate subsidiaries that can do different things. Sorry, just a final point. Yes, I think uh, my, my perception is it's a bit overly complex for the moment, but things, things may well develop. And I think I've said before that uh, I and my group uh, strongly support this initiative and uh, we have uh, myself and in the group we have a lot of expertise and we'd be very happy to help if, uh, if it's appropriate. No, well, I'm sure it will be and uh, you know, clearly this is a, in, in terms of the direction of travel for those subsidiaries you know, will be a cross-party initiative. We'll be looking obviously to do the best thing for the council. And I, on another point, I'm delighted that the same night that we um, have launched Aspire. We've also invested uh, money in community functions in Ferrycroft. So that, that, that kind of investment, which is nothing to do with Aspire, will, will very much continue as well. Um, Councillor Dean. Yes, thank you, Chairman. It seems to me that there are potentially um, issues of perception that need to be taken into account and my question is going to be have those been or are they being the risks they are being developed and I'm thinking of Aspire Rentals Limited and Aspire Land Agreements of course at the, at the moment the, um, the council is a, a social landlord um, and if people out in the community see us getting involved in private sector renting then are they going to be thinking that uh, we've, you know, we're sort of going off being a social landlord and we're only interested in um, higher rents from market housing. So, there, you know, there's something, and there are, there are potentially internal tensions there that I think need to be worked through so that they're, that they're managed well. And the same goes with Aspire land agreements where we're, we're speculating on, for instance, uh, using some land that the council owns for private developments, private housing, rather than um, council housing. I mean, we were looking at a site at Wendon Zambo only last week, which might be more sensibly uh, developed in the private sector, but then that, that in itself raises, will raise, potentially raise public questions. What's going on here? They've gone off council housing. They're only interested in selling land to make more money out of it. So, so I think there are, to me, there are tensions there that need to be thought through and managed before they uh, go, you know, go wrong in terms of the public opinion as to what this is all about. And I just ask whether at least the thinking on that has uh, begun, and, and obviously, and, and if it has, that it will be continued so that it's managed well. Yeah, you raise a fair point. I, I mean, as, as you know, we're 
totally and absolutely committed to social housing and, and, and we're really proud of the fact that we're building council houses for the first time for 20 years and we're going to carry on doing that wherever we possibly can. It is, it is a separate situation but I, we take your point um, and uh, it's, there, there won't be a, a, a conflict of interest and certainly Councillor Redfern won't let us um, will stop us uh, from um, not carrying out our, uh, you know, our plans in terms of social housing. Councillor Howell. Yeah, could I just echo those comments and actually also echo the concerns that Councillor Dean raises because they are legitimate and reasonable points to make. I sympathise with them because when I went into local government first of all as a councillor I was inspired by a more social agenda than a day-to-day -day operational managerial type um, ambition. But we do have to remind ourselves, as an organisation, we have always managed this tension. We are a commercial organisation as well as a social entity. We do a great many things where we charge fees which are commercial fees for the services that we undertake. The next paper I'm going to be presenting is on our asset management plan and it, I'll make reference to the fact that we have 2,798 council houses. I would emphasise that Aspire Rentals is of a very, very different scale um, and we will be able to manage that tension very easily when you compare a, an estate of £3,000 with the money from the Strategic Initiative Fund which will frankly be dwarfed by our social um, agenda. Our social agenda will without doubt always be the dominant theme within this council. But we have to be more commercial in the way we exercise things, uh, uh, operate, and we have always been a commercial entity. Good. Um, I was interested to note, and please don't read any presumption into this, that um, a neighbouring council uh, who have a similar sort of scheme uh, were looking to develop um, primary care facilities um, for to rent back to the NHS and bearing in mind the discussions we've had a, in a number of areas of our community about the need to build that I thought that was a, an extremely interesting proposition if it stacked up commercially so we might well be ticking more than one box here but as I say I make no presumption but it's interesting in terms of the range that it might be good okay so um, the recommendation is that the Cabinet has requested to approve the establishment of the following companies, and you've heard what they are. Agree the articles of association for each company as attached. Appoint the following directors to each company, Mr. Orty, Ms. Whitman, and Mr. Webb. Those, in, uh, sorry, do I, I have a proposer, uh, Councillor Howell, do I have a seconder? Councillor Redfern, or Councillor Wells. Um, those in favour? Carried unanimously. Thank you very much indeed. So we now move on to item 17, as already indicated, the asset management plan. Councillor Howell. Uh, a nice short paper. Um, we have a very, very extensive list of assets. I re read this with... I was fascinated by it. I, I'm, I'm impressed that in addition to the 2,798 and 504 garages and other pieces of land, we, we have... Um, Goodness me, on page 119, um, 11 car parks, 10 community facilities, um, three, uh, sorry, five sports and leisure facilities, one public toilet, 
which I found very strange because I didn't think we did have the public toilet, but nevertheless, I'm not going to quibble on the details. Um, there's a slight mismatch and slight overrun on the printer, which makes this quite a difficult document to read in, in places, but a fascinating list, list. We're obliged to prepare this. I think it's a really good project. Um, and we obviously have to demonstrate to the external auditor as part of their review our, our value for money. Um, so the recommendation is that we approve the asset management. And I'm very happy to make that recommendation. Thank you very much. Uh, any comments, Councillor Dean? I'm just curious. Uh, it's not a comment. It's the fact that uh, one of our assets is the Lower Street Car Park in Stansted, which I'm very familiar with, but it appears we also have a verge at the Lower Street Car Park in Stansted, and I wonder what uh, the value of that verge is and why it's separate from the car park. Does anybody know? If we don't know now, I can find out later. But it, uh, well, I'm sure we can come back to you on that. Puzzling but, thing. <laughs> but, but owning verges could be quite important. I don't know if any of you dr have driven into Cambridge recently uh, down the Hills Road. Uh, route in but they're taking all the verges out to widen the uh, road to create a cycle path and uh, so we might be pleased to own our verge at some point we might have a use for it but um, we'll, we'll come back to you on no other comments uh, I absolutely echo what uh, Councillor Howell has said it's very important that we understand what we own. It's extremely important that we understand what we're doing with it. Um, and we're beholden to the taxpayer to, to be getting best advantage, either as a community facility uh, or as, as an asset to drive benefit. So um, delighted with this plan and uh, look forward to its execution. So the recommendation is uh, to approve the asset management plan as attached to the report. Councillor Redfern, sorry, before we go to the vote. Uh, I just wanted to ask about asset uh, number 15, Debden Road Car Parks. I just wondered, it, this comes up every year, really. Are we just carrying up, sticking with the status quo, or is it something we are going to, is it going well, to look I, at further? I, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a member of... Um not particular expert on this, although it was in my ward for many years as a Saffron Morden Town Councillor. Uh, and my recollection is that the reason we've retained it as a car park for residents was that if we did not, they would park their cars on the road. And the Debden Road is a massively congested road at the best of times, um, and it would cause us and the community far more inconvenience. We, we have to balance the proper, proper and appropriate use of the assets that we own, there are a number that might be possible sites for development, but we need to be pragmatic about which ones are the most appropriate for that. And this remains as a car park for a very good reason for local residents. And my recollection is that local residents make a financial contribution uh, toward paying for it. Mr. Webb, do you want to add to that? No, I have nothing to add to it, Chairman. Okay, thank you. Good. If there are no other questions, then uh, we've had the recommendation uh, read out. Um, we've had a proposer. We've got a seconder. Councillor Wells, those in favour? Unanimous. Thank you very much indeed. Um, there are two um, representatives to appoint, and these, uh, well, there's a slight change there actually. Uh, so, um, 
Item 18, the North Essex Parking Partnership. Uh, the representative to that is, was uh, Councillor Barker and still is Councillor Barker. Uh, the West Essex Wellbeing Joint Committee, um, not a body that is met regularly. Um, our, our primary focus has been in Uttlesford. Uh, we had two representatives, the portfolio holder, Councillor Wells, and the lead member at the time, Councillor G. Barker. Um, so G. Barker changes in, in, in light of the new lead member responsibility to Councillor Harris. So to Act 19 is Councillor Wells and Councillor Harris. Thank you. Any items which the Chairman considers to be urgent? There aren't any tonight, so I... Th oh, Councillor Lodge. Well, I, entirely at your discretion, but I just wondered whether you might want to say a word about the devolution vote today, or we can discuss it at the leaders' meeting tomorrow. Yeah, no, I'd be pleased to do that. Um, having This is the second... Um, I will not say challenging, but interesting meeting that I've chaired during the course of today, so I'm looking forward to a gin and tonic shortly. Um, the, the proposition, and I don't have my papers with me, but the proposition uh, that we put to um, the leaders in particular, but all the chief executives were there, and I have to say it was, the, it was the, ironically the best attended meeting that we've ever had. Every single uh, district, unitary and county was represented um, by its leader with one one exception where the deputy leader was there, but otherwise all the chief executives were there, I think, so, uh, which, was, which is incredible. Um, and uh, after the discussion, we put to uh, the vote whether um, the leaders wished to proceed with a devolution proposal, which obviously includes the need uh, for a directly elected mayor. And... Uh, there was a split vote on that. When we asked a second question, do you wish to continue to work with government uh, on a, a proposed devolution deal, they unanimously wished to do that. Unanimously wished to do that. Um, I, and I think um, Mark Carroll, who, as you know, is the um, DCLG official who has been seconded to um, the, uh, the Essex proposal, pointed out what is happening. There's now 40% uh, of citizens are covered by a devolution deal, so it's quite extensive now. Locally, um, we understood today, but um, it needs to be ratified, that the Cambridge-Peterborough deal with an elected mayor as, as one solution will go ahead, and the Norfolk-Suffolk deal with a directly elected mayor will also go ahead. Government wanted to put them all together, and they said no, but they will go ahead with two separate deals. So that gets quite close to um, our borders. And uh, so the next steps are to talk to senior officials, stroke ministers, um, in terms of what I said, which is that we'd like we'd, we'd like to proceed, but um, there is uh, there is not support for a direct, directly elected mayor, uh, and we'll have to see what government says about that. But in every other instance, there is a directly elected mayor, so you can draw in your own conclusions from what government might say. Sounds like a red line for government, doesn't it? But and then, for us, a ban from that vote. Uh, but then, but then the question, of course, is um, what kind of mayor? Because they come in different shapes and sizes. So, is there a de minimalist position in terms of the mayor's powers that might be acceptable? 
Um, and the important thing is, if in the end uh, the decision was not to proceed, what might you lose? Very interesting to note that um, after waiting years for a decision on the A14, it was announced two days before the devolution agreement, a £1 billion investment into the A14. This will happen. Devolved authorities will get that kind of benefit. So we have to be very circumspect in terms of how we move forward. But I think the next iteration is to be crystal clear with a, a, a senior voice of government in terms of what might be in the package and what, what are their absolute red lines. And then we'll have to go back and look at it again. But I hope that summarises accurately for you. There's no other business. Meeting closed at 8.50. Thank you very much.